Good morning. Today's passage comes from Luke 
chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. And I'm going to start in verse 41. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning, Father, that you would bring our attentions to you as the Messiah, to you as the Holy One. Father, that you are the only one that has the power to forgive our sins. And Father, in these next few moments, as we listen to your word, as we sing praises to your name, Father, Father, I pray that we will praise you because you have forgiven us of our sins. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue in worship.
that's all we can proclaim is that you're our hope and that you're our truth and that you're our only way, God. And we come before you hopeless without you, but you have made a way. And we worship you today, God. Thank you for the access to you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for loving us enough to send your son, God. Um, We just take this moment to praise you and to thank you for all you've done, God. Um, We love you, and we just pray that you would speak to us now um, as we go into the sermon, God. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Those songs couldn't be more perfect for the text that we're going to look at this morning. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 33 this morning. And this is a text that I told Tracy, if, if I don't get the gospel in this one, then y'all kick me to the curb. This text is just absolutely beautiful. I love the way that Luke tells this story of what happened with Jesus. And I want to remind us this morning that Luke has written this account for us so that we could have certainty about Jesus, so that our faith would grow, our confidence in Christ as the Messiah, the one who can forgive sins, that we would have certainty of that, that we would fall more in love with him as we read this this morning. And so that's the goal, is that when we walk out of here, that if you don't know Jesus the way that Luke tells us about him, that you would walk out of here seeing Jesus in a new way. That if you do know Jesus and you've experienced him in this way, that it would rekindle those things. I was just at a wedding for Tracy's daughter this weekend, and it was a success. We got her married. But there's one thing that happens when you go to weddings that I just love, that it's always this reminder for me of of my wedding. And so I pray that as we encounter this and as we see these things this morning, that maybe it's going to cast your memory back to the first time you experienced Jesus in this way. And you would be reminded of that and fall more in love with him. Let's pray and ask God to do that this morning. Lord, as we come to your text, Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to understand, Lord, and and feet to obey. God, we need you to meet with us. We need you with all of the distractions of the world, with all of the things vying for our affection and our attention, Lord. We need to be captivated by you. Lord, we need to be reminded this morning of our our utter devastation in our sin. That we might fall more in love with you, the one who forgives sin. God, we ask that you would do it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's jump into this. I love a good story, and that's what Luke is recording for us here, is this incredible narrative. And so let's start in verse 33. And we're just going to kind of unpack this as the setting and then the characters that we get and their responses. And and we're just going to walk through this narrative together. Verse 33 says this, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. 
The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. Catch this part. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. We get in this very beginning of the setting, we, we're coming into this story on the heels of an accusation that Jesus is the friend of sinners. That's the accusation that's been lobbied against him. Huh. Jesus, you're this prophet. You're a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What kind of prophet, what kind of Messiah could you be? You hang out with tax collectors and sinners, right? That's the accusation. And so then we go right into this story. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Now, I think it's helpful as we see this reclined at the table. We don't know the name of the Pharisee yet. We're going to learn that later. But as he says he reclined at the table, I think it's helpful in understanding this story that these would have been low tables. They would have sat with their feet kind of kicked back from the table, and they would have been eating their food kind of as they lounged by the table. And so Jesus is reclining at the table. It's not Thanksgiving feet under the table. And that's going to get real awkward if that's the image you have in your head with what's coming next. Because what we see is that behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Okay, so the setting that we've got, right? The scene that we have here is that Jesus has been traveling around. He's been healing the sick. John the Baptist sent his disciples. He said, hey, are you the one or should we look for another? Jesus, rather than answering, he says, hey, I'm going to show you that I'm the fulfillment of Isaiah 61's prophecy. That Go and tell John what you see. And he heals the blind. He heals the sick. He heals the lame. That, that they're restored. And he says, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. And so word is spreading that this guy can heal the sick. This Jesus, like he's showing up. And so now word has spread that Jesus is sitting in a Pharisee's house and he's reclining at the table and this woman has heard it. She's like, where's Jesus? Oh, at, at his house. Wait a minute, I know where that is. That this woman, she knows where this Pharisee's house is. But look at what we know about this woman. She's a woman of the city. She's known. She's from there. Why is she known? She's known as a sinner. How would you like that as the letters behind your name? Right? Jared Clary, sinner. Right? This is her reputation. She is known as a sinner. Everyone knows it. She knows it. There is no question as to if she's a sinner. The whole world knows she's a sinner. But she's learned something. Jesus is reclining at the Pharisee's house. And so premeditated... Because she knows this, she goes, oh, I've got some alabaster just for this occasion. Now, alabaster is this perfume. It's an ointment. It was, it was a, a wealth in this day. 
That this is an object of prestige and wealth. This is currency of the day. That this alabaster flask would have been used to show, you would have put this on, it's like, go get your cologne, special event. Right? This is not Axe Spray sixth graders in the gym closet, right? Like, this is for the special occasion. And so she goes and she gets this alabaster flask. This is premeditated. She knows what she's doing. She is thinking about this. And so she goes and she gets the ointment. And look at verse 38. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. At this point in the story, we go, what? Let me reread that. What? This woman, she knows Jesus is reclining at the table, eating dinner. And she comes in, and probably in the courtyard where they're eating, and she stands there. And she's looking at Jesus. And she begins to weep. Tears are flowing to the extent that his feet are wet. The dust from walking around, sandals, is now beginning to turn to mud because of her tears, which are flowing down. And so then, what does she do next? She kneels down and she takes her hair. And she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. She pulls out the alabaster. And she begins to put it on his feet. This perfume for the special occasion. She begins to anoint his feet and wipe it with her hair that's now turning muddy. And we go, what in the world would possess someone to do such a thing? That's the question we have to answer, right? I would venture to guess that none of you have ever done that to someone, and most likely none of you have ever had that done to you. This is so countercultural. What in the world would possess someone to do such a thing? Well, Jesus is going to answer that question for us in just a minute. But before we get to that, Jesus is going to address something else. Verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said, what in the world is going on? No. That's what you and I would say. We would be like, what in the world is happening? But this Pharisee, look at his response. He says, catch this, to himself, thinking in his head. He's thinking what we would all be thinking. He's like, what? But he says this. If this man really were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is and who is touching him, for she is a sinner. 
The Pharisee's response when he sees this woman weeping, wiping the mud now off of Jesus' feet with her hair, anointing him with alabaster, his response is, if this Jesus, this Messiah, this one who is to come, if he really were the Messiah, if he really were a prophet, he would know because prophets know these sorts of things. Prophets know sinners they can smell them. And she didn't pass the smell test. This woman is known as a sinner and Jesus is so dull, he could not be a prophet because if he were a prophet, he would know. Hey, listen, prophets don't mess with people like that. She's unclean and her touching him makes him unclean. And prophets don't do that. This Pharisee calls into question Jesus' being a prophet. Which is the accusation of Jesus eats with tax collectors and he's a friend of sinners? No way. Calls into question him being a prophet. And look at Jesus' response. Jesus answering said to him, now remember, this Pharisee is thinking to himself. Jesus answers him. Don't mess with Jesus. He can read your mind. Right? Like he's thinking to himself and Jesus answers him saying this. Now catch this. This is incredible. Simon. Jesus calls his name. Luke has recorded this in such a way that we've only known him as Pharisee. And we have only known the woman as sinner. And now Jesus is going to speak directly to his heart. And he says, Simon. I have something to say to you. So Simon answers and he says, say it, teacher. Now, look at this. What's going on? He goes, what kind of prophet? Could this guy really be a prophet? He's so dull. He doesn't even know this woman's a sinner. And now he says, say it, teacher. Like he's playing the game. Say it, teacher. And so Jesus is going to respond to him with a parable, a made-up story that's 100% true. That's what a parable is. It's a fictitious story. It's 100% made up. But it's 100% true because it comes from the very mind of God. He's telling this story, this parable, to teach a lesson. Let's see if we can learn the lesson with Jesus and Simon. He says, verse 41, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Now, this is a really, really short parable. But there's one point to this parable. And we can all understand it. One's forgiven 500 denarii. This is a very large sum of money. One's forgiven 50 denarii. This is a pretty small sum of money. If you owed a debt of $500,000 and someone else owed a debt of $50 
And the person to which you owed the debt said, you know what? You're forgiven. Canceling the debt. Which one would be more happy? You'd both be happy. It's better than a stick in the eye, right? But the one who owed $500,000 is like, <laughs> we're out of here, right? 50 bucks, you're like, oh, thanks, man. I'll catch you next time. This is what Jesus is saying. He's given this parable to basically show us, hey, the extent to which you are forgiven a debt is the extent to which you love the one in which you owed the debt. To the extent that you have been forgiven is the extent to which you love. And so if you are forgiven much, you love much. If you are forgiven little, you love little. Jesus tells this parable. And so then he asks Simon, verse 43. Simon's a smart guy, apparently. He answers, which one will love him more? The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. Now look at that. I love it. It's like, I suppose. It's like reality starting to sink in for him, I think. I suppose the one who is forgiven more would love more. Jesus goes on and he says, you judged rightly. Ding, ding, ding. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. You got it. You're right. And then catch this. I love it. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. Now catch this. He's, he's been talking to Simon. He's been saying this stuff to Simon. This woman's behind him. He hasn't acknowledged her yet. His feet are drenched. His feet have been being wiped by her hair. She has mud caked in her hair now because of this alabaster and this dust on her feet. And now, at this point, then Jesus says, do you see this woman? He's speaking to Simon, but he, he says, do you see this woman? Now, think about this question. Of course Simon's seen her. She walked in his house. She's been standing there. Simon's already questioning. But the question goes deeper. The question's not, did you see her with your eyes? The question is, did you see her? Simon's self-righteousness has prevented him from seeing the woman because all he saw was her sin. All Simon could see was her sin as her identity. He could not see the person. All he saw was her sin. And so Jesus says, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. He makes this contrast. He's calling Simon out in his own house. We're like, geek, right? Hey, Jesus, you want to come to my house and eat? 
And then he, Jesus is coming in here. Now, he's not being vindictive. He's not just trying to roast Simon. What he's doing is he's trying to crumble the ivory tower of self-righteousness that Simon is seated in. Because for Simon to stay in that tower of self-righteousness will prevent him from ever experiencing Jesus. Self-righteousness is destructive. Now, it's one of those acceptable sins of our culture. But it will prevent you from ever experiencing Jesus. And Jesus is doing a favor for Simon because he has pinpoint accuracy to erode the foundation of that tower. And so he's going to call Simon out. He says, Simon, I came in and hospitality would say, you should have given me water for my feet. You should have greeted me with a kiss. You should have anointed my head with oil. And you did none of it. You failed at hospitality. You think you're self-righteous and better than this woman who's a sinner. But let me show you that this woman who you see as a sinner has actually shown me more hospitality than you. Them's fighting words, right? Like, Jesus is directly going at Simon in a way that Simon can't refute this. That he is fully exposed. And isn't that what Jesus does to us? Isn't that what the gospel does to us? Is it lays us bare. Fully exposed. Jesus keeps going though. He says in verse 47, therefore I tell you her sins, which are many are forgiven. I love this right here because he says, you know, this woman who's been identified, the, the identifying factor for her is sinner, 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 sinner. That's what she's known as. And Jesus says, I tell you her sins, though they're many. Guess what? This woman knows her sins more than anyone else in the room. She knows she's a sinner. Every day she walks the city. You see her? She sees the looks. She knows the talk. One commentator said she's forgotten more sins than anyone else knows she's even had. She is a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, her sins, which are many, guess what? They're forgiven. There are no sweeter words in the scripture than your sins are forgiven. To be fully known, all the warts, all the blemishes, fully known and forgiven. Her sins, which are many, Jesus doesn't discount the fact that she's a known sinner. Jesus doesn't discount the fact that she's messed up real big. And he says, but you know what? They're all forgiven. All forgiven. 
for she loved much. She had a big debt. And Jesus canceled it all. You know, what would possess someone to do such a thing as to to weep tears, to bring out the alabaster and anoint feet and to wipe the mud off of his feet with her hair? To know your sins and know that they're forgiven. That's to be forgiven much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And I think the rhetorical question is, Simon, which one are you in this parable? And I think the question for us this morning is, put your name in there. Which one are you? Would the cultural norms of society prevent you from radical love of Jesus? Or are you conscious enough of your sin and knowing that Jesus has forgiven it that you throw away all social norms and go, but that's my Savior and he's worthy of all worship. He's worthy of it all. Which one are you? Jesus continues here and And I think it's helpful as we look at this last little section that that we could get off into some theological weeds, but let's specifically look at this section and see exactly what Jesus is saying. Verse 48, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, in the Greek, which I don't normally like to bring up Greek and all the tenses and all that, but this is super helpful. This is a present tense verb. What that means is that there was a past action that has current lasting results. You are forgiven. Meaning in the past, there was a past action. Your sins were forgiven and they have continual lasting action forward. Why would this woman come with the alabaster premeditated, finding out where Jesus is? Because her sins had been forgiven. And she goes man, my sins are forgiven and I'm going to worship him and he's worthy of this. And so knowing her sins had been forgiven, she shows up at that house and she's looking at Jesus and going, this is the Messiah, the one who has forgiven me. This is the one who has canceled my debt, who has made me right with God. And she began just to weep. But some of those tears of weeping may have been But look at this Pharisee who's treating my Savior with such contempt that he didn't even wash his feet. We don't know. There may have been a little bit of both of these reactions going on here. Where she goes, but my Jesus is being dishonored here and that breaks my heart. And I'm going to wash his feet because he's worthy of that. And these people are not honoring him as such. There was a past action that had continual lasting results. 
And so she shows up. He says, your sins are forgiven, perfect tense, completed action, lasting results. And then look at verse 49. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Because this was, Jesus is now exposing, bringing into light what was done with this woman and saying, your sins are forgiven. That they have been forgiven and there's a continual result. Your identity is no longer sinner but child of God. And everybody at the table is going, whoa. Who's this guy who has this authority? Because only God can forgive sins. And this guy's saying that her sins are forgiven. He's claiming to be God. If we see this passage and we think that her sins are forgiven because of her actions, then we've missed it. Her sins aren't forgiven because her actions. Her actions are the proof that her sins had been forgiven. We can read this and some people in history have read this and said, see, her actions are what made her forgiven because her actions were better than Simon's. But that's not at all what Jesus is saying. Verse 50 specifically says this. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That it is by faith that we are forgiven. Not by works, lest anyone could boast. It wasn't because this woman brought the alabaster. It wasn't because this woman washed his feet. It wasn't because of the actions of this woman that she was forgiven. It was because of her faith that she was forgiven. And the action showed that her faith was real. Just like Tracy talked about, real faith produces actions. That if you don't have fruit of repentance, fruit of faith, then you should be very worried about your faith. Because real faith produces fruit. And we see that in this woman. That her faith produced fruit. Such countercultural gospel fruit that everybody goes, What? And you know what? The same is exactly true today. That when we live out the fruit of our faith, then the world will go, What? How can they forgive like that? How can they love like that? How can they sacrifice like that? And you know what our answer is? Those who have been forgiven much, love much. The application of this text is actually pretty simple. You've got a question to answer. Are you going to be like Simon in this self-righteous ivory tower? Or are you going to be like this woman, a known sinner? Not afraid of your sin, 
embrace. That was, my, that was who I was, but that's not who I am. A known sinner, but more importantly, knowing the Savior. This text ends open-ended. Much like Jesus' parables and other teachings, then, then we don't know, like the prodigal son and like the, the rich young ruler and like several of those, we, we don't know the ending in some of this. We don't know what Simon did. But we know he had the decision to make. And we know that he knew Jesus was a friend of sinners. If you know your sin, the Holy Spirit's convicting you of your sin. There's a lot of places you can run to to try and numb it, to try and avoid it, to try and self-medicate it. But there's only one place you can run to where you'll hear your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. That's at the foot of the cross. That's to Jesus a friend of sinners, to be fully known and yet fully loved. If you've never made that decision, I'd invite you to make that decision today. It's super simple. You don't have to have certain words. You just cry out to Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of saving. Jesus, you know my sin and I'm fully banking, I'm fully trusting in you as my only hope to forgive me of those sins, to do what you said you would do, to cleanse me of that, to make me new. It's that simple. But maybe for some of us, we needed to see Simon's self-righteousness because as we walk around and as we hear through the grapevine about different things, we know the sinners. And Jesus may be asking you today, he says, do you see this woman? Maybe you've only been seeing people. Maybe it's some of your family members. You've only been seeing them for their sin. And you need to be reminded that Jesus forgives sinners. You need to be refreshed in your fervent prayer, God, do the work which only you can do. Or maybe there's some of you today who have been doing the religious thing. You're like Simon. You've been keeping the law and, and you've been doing these things and you've been avoiding sin and you've been trying to do it all on your own. And Jesus is starting to prick at that self-righteousness. And he's sending in pinpoint accuracy to erode that foundation that you would come to him. That you'd stop relying on yourself for your salvation and that you would fully rely on him. It's pretty simple. Those who have been forgiven much 
love much. Those who have been forgiven little, love little. Let's be a people that we know our sin and we know our Savior and we love much. Let's pray. God, would you open our eyes to our own sin? Lord, I remember praying that prayer one time and you wrecked my world. I thought I was a good kid. Had a lot of self-righteousness. And God, you began to expose the wickedness of my heart. You began to expose the the bad intentions of my thoughts and my actions and you just began to reveal how sinful and desperately in need of a Savior I was. God, would you do that to us? Lord, would you wreck us? Would you expose us? Would you lay us bare that we might know our sin and be conscious of it? That we might glory in the cross and love much knowing that you say our sins though they are many are forgiven God make us a people who are fully aware of our sin who don't have an ounce of self-righteousness in us but are fully aware of our desperate need for a savior and the grace which you've shown us we ask it in Jesus name I will not boast in
Church, you've just been you've just been challenged to consider the the forgiveness and consider the the sin that you have been forgiven of, um, and then to go and do likewise. Um, how could we, who've been forgiven of so much, um, how could we not um, how could we not do that? Um, you can go ahead and have a seat. Um, by way of announcements, got a few announcements for you this morning. Um, so starting next Sunday, December the sixth. Um, we will uh, we'll be jumping back into core classes. Um, so for kids, that's going to happen during both services. And for youth, that'll happen as normal um, during the 9 o'clock service. And then for adults, um, adult core classes are going to start back next Sunday as well. However, there's only going to be one. It's the Gospel Project core class. Um, and then all the other core class topics will start back um, in January. Um, so you, go, you guys can go ahead and be looking forward to that. Uh, and then finally, next Sunday, December 6th, um, that is Lottie Moon Sunday. So you'll hear more about this offering uh, more, more next Sunday. Um, but on Lottie Moon Sunday, we take an extra offering in which 100% of what we take up, um, it goes to the Lottie Moon offering. So if you don't know about Lottie Moon, uh, Lottie Moon is, is basically, it goes directly to, to international missions. Um, and it's our goal as a church um, this year to raise $25,000 uh, for Lottie Moon. So I'd encourage you this week um, to pray for how it is that you could give to the Lottie Moon um, offering next week. So you can go ahead and stand back up. I'm going to send you out with a, uh, with a benediction. So the benediction this morning is, may you understand Christ's steadfast love for you, and may you understand that you have been forgiven from your sins and freed by Christ's blood. And may Christ increase your love for him, and may Christ increase your love for all. You are dismissed.